Welcome to this week's episode of The Read Out Loud, a weekly biotech podcast from STAT. I'm Adam Feuerstein, coming to you from STAT's worldwide headquarters in Boston. I'm Rebecca Robbins, recording from STAT's San Francisco Outpost. Damien Gardet is on vacation this week. Joining us as a special guest host today in Damien's absence is our colleague, Matt Herper. Matt, it's great as always to have you here. Always fantastic, guys. It's Thursday, March 21st, and here's what's on the docket this week. Biotech just got some very big and very disappointing news. Aducanumab, Biogen's closely watched experimental Alzheimer's treatment, has failed. Our stat colleague Sharon Bagley will join us to talk about Biogen's decision to shut down two late-stage trials testing the drug and what this latest in a long line of failures means for the field and for patients. Sage Therapeutics won FDA approval for the first drug specifically targeted to treat postpartum depression. We'll chat with Jeff Jonas, Sage's CEO, about how this new drug came to be and its potential impact on the diagnosis and treatment of the disorder. Next, Jeff Jonas will stick around for a special lightning round. We'll fire some rapid-fire questions at Jeff and force him to pick one of two options and then ask him to defend his opinion. But first, a word from our sponsor. Looking for a new biotech podcast? Tune in to CRISPR Cuts, Synthigo's official podcast dedicated to the world of genome engineering. In each podcast episode, we chat with a CRISPR expert about everything genome engineering, from tools, applications, its impact on society, and more. For biotech podcast episodes, visit synthigo.com forward slash stat. That's S-Y-N-T-H-E-G-O dot com forward slash stat. We're going to start today with the big news that just broke a couple hours before we started recording this podcast. Biogen shares are tumbling this morning. This is big news. It comes after the drug maker and Japanese partner aside discontinued late stage trials of an Alzheimer's treatment. That came after an independent data monitoring committee said that the treatment is unlikely to meet its primary goal. Biogen said it's halting two phase three clinical trials of its experimental Alzheimer's treatment, aducanumab. The drug was supposed to slow the worsening of the disease by targeting the brain-destroying protein fragments known as beta amyloid. The company said it's making the decision to stop the trials because an interim analysis determined the drug was unlikely to help patients. Joining us to talk about the disappointing news and its myriad implications is STAT's senior science writer, Sharon Begley. Sharon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. So aducanumab wasn't just any experimental Alzheimer's drug, right? How big of a deal is this failure? You know, this is the latest failure, Rebecca, of a drug that is predicated on the model of Alzheimer's disease that has dominated the field since the 1980s, before many of our listeners were likely even alive. Um, And that's the amyloid model, the idea that this protein, this toxic protein, is responsible for the disease, that amyloid kills neurons, it destroys synapses, and those produce the cognitive and memory problems that characterize Alzheimer's. There have been more than 300 failed trials of drugs that target amyloid that either get it out of the brain, that prevent its formation, and they have all failed. Yet the pharmaceutical industry keeps throwing billions of dollars at it. And the obvious question is whether this really will be the last gasp of the amyloid hypothesis. And a lot of people seemed ready to give up on amyloid before this happened. But then Biogen had come out with this little study that seemed to show that this was the drug that cleared amyloid out of the brain. Fortune put them on the cover, big dramatic moment, and they made this huge bet on it. So now we, it may well be that this is the last glimmer of hope fading away for for these drugs. 
you know, so previous amyloid drugs, Matt, um, have been explained away. Their failures have been explained away by, oh, well, they're not really that great at clearing amyloid. Or, well, yeah, they cleared the amyloid, but it was too late because these patients were already had serious disease. And as a result of those earlier failures, um, drug companies, including Biogen, made their molecule, their antibody, even better. So the antibody was really, really good at taking amyloid out of the brain. And they also tried it in patients who had only mild disease, as in the case of this um, uh, aducanumab. Yet even with those changes, the drugs keep failing. So you really have to ask, is there anything you can do? Is there any way you construct your trial or your drug that will enable an amyloid-based therapy to actually be effective. So, Sharon, in the wake of this news, you've been talking to Alzheimer's experts this morning. What are they telling you? What is their reaction to to this setback? So it is really mixed. Um, The diehard uh, proponents of the amyloid hypothesis still say, no, even mild patients, they are too late to treat. You have to treat not even patients. They're not patients yet because they don't have the disease. You have to treat people who have any kind of sign of amyloid deposition in the brain. So that really ta- means that we're going to start treating what, you know, 40-year-olds, 50-year-olds before anybody has any sign of Alzheimer's, which is going to be very problematic from a public health point of view. Um, others say that um, the amyloid hypothesis is still alive and well, that uh, Biogen, like many companies before it, was simply targeting the wrong form of amyloid. In other words, rather than going after the plaques, which are the sticky um, aggregations of protein, you have to go after what's called soluble amyloid before it forms those plaques. So, you know, I'd like to sit here and tell you that the field is ready to move on to something that might be more effective, but that does not seem to be the case. So, Matt, when we were talking earlier, you had referenced what you called the drug industry's disastrous love affair with amyloid. What did you mean by that? It was like amyloid just kept coming into the bar and they'd meet one drug company and it would end terribly and everybody else would see it. And the next day, somebody else would come in and once again, they'd fall head over heels with amyloid. This was just this irresistible idea. I mean, we first saw this with a vaccine from Elan 20 years ago. Um, then it was, well, the vaccine doesn't work. We're going to do an antibody and Pfizer partners with Elan and then Johnson and Johnson. Well, that doesn't work. Then there are all these pills called base inhibitors and other methods of affecting amyloid. It was like every drug company fell for this, even though it kept failing. And there would be reasons why maybe it was okay, but it was like the only thing they tried because there's this giant market. If you can get something to work at all for Alzheimer's, sales will be huge. Let's talk about the implications here for the drug maker behind aducanumab, and that's Biogen. Adam, what does this setback mean for the company? Well, obviously, you know, it's a big setback for them. Uh, you know, they had basically made a giant bet on aducanumab and Alzheimer's in general, that this was going to be the way that they were going to grow in the future. You know, Biogen has a very successful uh, multiple sclerosis drug franchise, but, you know, it's mature and it centrally relies on uh, drug pr- you know, price increases right now to grow. So they don't really have a lot in the pipeline that is going to help the company grow outside of this gigantic bet on Alzheimer's. So 
what the company does now is kind of the big question mark and where they go. And so naturally, well, people will sort of point to the fact that, you know, they may make some acquisitions uh, of other companies uh, or they actually may be sort of merged out of existence that maybe uh, someone comes in and, and tries to take them over. Adam, I'm wondering what you're thinking particularly about Al Sandrock, who did some really amazing work. He's the head of kind of medicine at Biogen. And he did some really amazing work on Tecfidera, their big MS um, blockbuster. And a few years ago, everyone loved him. But he's been such a huge believer in this program. I mean, how much of this is going to reflect back on Al? It's a great question, Matt. Uh, you know, I think I think you could sort of say that or ask the same question about the entire management team and whether this strategy that they've sort of put in place, you know, sort of what, if there's any brushback on them and what happens. It seems like that now is a, is a time that they really do have to sort of reevaluate where they go and, and what the, and what Biogen is going to be. You know, they've been a neurology CNS-focused company. You know, it's hard to pivot from that. So where they go, is this a big question mark right now? And I think, you know, they're obviously uh, it's one of those times where investors are looking at them and and, you know, the loss of confidence, you know, look, it wasn't like a lot of people believed that aducanumab was going to work. I mean, I think, you know, most people, given the history of failure, thought that the drug would fail. Um, but yet, you know, the stock today is losing, you know, 15, 16 or more billion dollars in market value. So that tells you that there's still there's a, there's a lot of damage that's being caused here. It shows how bad things are that I can even ask this question. I don't know the answer. But are they a buyer or do they get bought? As I said, that's that's a great, you know, that's kind of the great question, right? Is is who they do they go out and buy something? Look, look, you know, people have been telling them or or, or wanting them to go out and buy smaller um, biotech companies uh, for years now. You know, two three years we've been hearing this, and you know they never did. You know, what we hear about Biogen is that their board is very very conservative when it comes to acquisitions. Uh, this is not a company that's going to go out and take big risks, which sounds kind of weird given that they took a big risk on Alzheimer's, but that they've been presented with uh, ideas and offers for you know to buy smaller companies, and they passed, um, largely because they thought they were too expensive. You know, Now these companies that maybe they should be buying are more expensive now. So that's a big issue now. Like, Do they have the sort of financial firepower to, to buy some of these smaller biotech companies now? And if they don't, then maybe the only bet is to sort of merge themselves with someone else, like, you know, what Celgene did with Bristol. So for many months now, I've been thinking of the aducanumab drug as like the next big readout in Alzheimer's, the big thing that we've all been waiting for and, and watching for. So now that that program has been halted, what's in the pipeline for Alzheimer's? What are you guys watching for? So there are a few companies that are going after uh, neuroinflammation. Um, there's something called AZ therapies here in Boston. There are a number of others. And the idea there is, and I'll just give you the analogy that one of the scientists keeps offering, once the forest is on fire, it's too late to blow out the match. So in this case, the forest that's on fire is the brain that is suffering all of this damage, including inflammation. And that inflammation may very well have been caused by amyloid, but once the inflammation is roaring along, getting rid of the amyloid won't help. But targeting the inflammation and quieting that down, quashing that, 
very well might help. And the reason is the brain has astounding capacities for um, plasticity, for regenerating itself. So even after one synapse is lost due to inflammation, let's say, a, a neighboring region on the neurons can regrow a synapse. And it just might be possible that some of the cognitive losses that uh, you see in Alzheimer's could be reversed. Now, it's a long shot, as is everything in Alzheimer's, but I would say that neuroinflammation is emerging as one of the next big targets. And Matt, let me ask you a question. Do you feel like you know this setback with Biogen, is that going to dampen enthusiasm or investment um, in Alzheimer's by biotech and drug companies? Or do you think that they will just continue along because the you know the potential market is so big. Oh yes, I mean the flip side of the fact that every drug company has tried this is that a lot of them try it and never go back. I mean Pfizer made its big investment and people there still remember and and really just look at Alzheimer's drugs and say, "Well, we don't understand this disease." I I think it's especially going to hurt late stage clinical development, but as we've seen with, say, the Elector IPO recently, which is a company looking at Alzheimer's gene therapy, there's also always new investors. Um, my hope would be that everybody really goes back to the basic science and tries to figure out how this works. I think that we'd get a lot more oomph from a project to really understand the disease than from throwing more and more things into clinical trials, hoping they'll work when we have a 100% failure rate over the past uh, 16, 17 years. So, Sharon, the last time a new Alzheimer's drug was approved uh, or hit the market, it was 2003. Um, so what is the impact of today's news on on patients, the people who are suffering from, from Alzheimer's? It's just devastating. Um, given how long it takes to develop a drug and to find one that's successful, as in an infinite amount of time for Alzheimer's drugs in the last 16 years. If you have Alzheimer's disease today, even if it's a mild case, if someone you love has it, you know, I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but there is almost no chance that in your lifetime there is going to be a successful Alzheimer's drug. Yeah, I think, Sharon, you had written a story a couple months back looking at just how few trials are even running for patients uh, with um, the moderate to severe forms of the disease. Uh, It's just stunning how little is available um, for this huge population. Yes, the industry has essentially given up on them for the reason that it is just, as Matt was alluding to, scientifically, we just don't understand enough about the cause of the disease, let alone how to intervene, let alone how to how to reverse it. So the industry has gone to mild cases of Alzheimer's, but as we see in the biogen fail, even there, they haven't been able to make it work. Sharon, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So we invited Jeff Jonas, the CEO of Sage Therapeutics, onto the show today to talk about the big approval that his Cambridge, Massachusetts-based biotech company just won for the new drug for postpartum depression. We're going to get to all of that shortly, but first, since we have Jeff here, we're going to talk to him about the disappointing aducanumab news. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Adam, and thanks for having me today. So, Jeff, you're an expert in drug development for not just depression, but diseases of the central nervous system. What did you think this morning when you heard about the bad news regarding aducanumab? As a psychiatrist and a physician, I, I think it, you know we, we desperately need treat, treatments for Alzheimer's. So I, I think this is obviously a blow to patients and their hopes. But I, I do think there are a couple of points I'd make about that because obviously, I, I, as with you, I 
pondered what happened. And first, you know, I think as a researcher, and I'm someone who's on the playing field, when I read headlines like phase three flop, phase three disaster, I have to say, look, we're fortunate to be in a system, an ecosystem that allows companies to take big bets on things that may benefit patients. And I, so I think, you know, like, Kudos to Biogen, whatever you think about the amyloid hypothesis, kudos to them for this noble effort. I, I think that we should just give them credit where credit is due. It's an important indication, and, and it's only a company like Biogen that can take this kind of risk. So uh, that's the first point. Um, the second point is, is a little bit more reflective, and, and that is you have to wonder how the momentum was maintained on the amyloid hypothesis. How, how do we allow this to happen to basically stultify other areas of research when it's clear we need to go back to the drawing board about what causes Alzheimer's and we need to go back to the drawing board about thinking about new drugs that may treat Alzheimer's either symptomatically or ideologically. You know, personally, I, I think we have to really think about how this happened and how, you know, our funding agencies and the basic scientists really just didn't open up the door to other innovation. And it's really a lesson for SAGE as well. It, we're facing the same kind of issues, which how do you circumvent belief and conventional wisdom? How do you reconcile those two things, though? Because isn't it Biogen that kept the amyloid hypothesis alive the past few years? I think a lot of people were ready to give up on it after Lilly failed. I think that one, you know, they were looking at the data. I think there was tremendous inertia and tremendous momentum, which in, in both ways, to believe that every time on an amyloid um, study failed, that it was there was one other thing that you needed to do. It, it became, at the end, a non-falsifiable hypothesis. And, and I think, you know, my observation just from the outside is there are a lot of smart people at Biogen, a lot of credible, you know, scientists, but at some point people begin to become committed to the theory over the data. And I think that, I mean, my observation externally is that's what happened, but, but I do believe that you know, I, at this point it, it's reasonably definitive. No matter what happens in mice, it, it, this doesn't matter in men. Your company, Sage Therapeutics, has kind of long been on a list of, sort of speculative takeover targets uh, that a company, a larger drug company, a larger biotech company, might want to acquire Sage. Uh, today, with the with the with the setback at Biogen, that speculation is being renewed. So, would you like to comment on on kind of the takeover rumors of Sage Therapeutics? <laughs> well, you know, we never comment on rumors. You know, what I've always said is I, I think to date we've had a really good track record of creating shareholder value. We've created more shareholder value by being independent than I think we could have ever have happened if we had been taken out. I think we've executed well. I think we can continue to create shareholder value in the future, not only with Zoresso, but everything else we're doing. And, you know, my intent as the CEO is to remain independent. Okay. Let's move on to Sage's big news this week. The FDA approved brixanolone, the first drug specifically targeting postpartum depression. Brixanolone will be marketed under the brand name Zalreso. So joining us today to, to question Jeff about the approval is Alyssa Ambrose. She's Stats Deputy Director of Multimedia. Now, longtime listeners of this podcast uh, know that Alyssa, last October, was here on the podcast talking about her experience with postpartum depression following the birth of her daughter. We'll let Alyssa kick things off with the first question. So, Jeff, my first question is just how is Zolresso different from other existing medications and therapies that are currently used today to treat postpartum depression? 
Most of the medicines that have been available really over the last 20 years all work through the monoamine system. They all t tend to work by modulating basically neurotransmitters. When, when Say started with this, as, you, as I know you all remember, no one really thought this was going to work. And our belief was that there was a more fundamental mechanism around depression, but in particular about postpartum. We thought that the, the large hormonal changes that occur around pregnancy and childbirth you know, might render women vulnerable to this unique form of depression. And that's how, that was our operating hypothesis. So Zolreso is a drug that works basically by calming uh, hyperactive neural circuits in the brain through a GABA mechanism. And one of the misconceptions about depression you often hear is that it's slowing down. But if you've ever treated patients with depression, you understand they're agitated, they may have racing negative thoughts, they're often moody, they may not sleep well. So there is, and there's actually preclinical data to support this. So we thought that by using Zolreso, we could approach postpartum in a completely different way. And that we could basically reset what was an acute imbalance in brain function. And that's what we believe the data show what they've shown, which is how we think this is differentiated from conventional pharmacotherapy. And that is, you see the drug, you get rapid onset with literally beginning within hours and completing within a day and a half, two and a half days. So we think that, that the correction of these hyperactive circuits, which is, which is an acute effect, is really what differentiates this from other um, pharmacotherapies that have been instituted in, for postpartum. And it's why we, we, see, we think we see a, a bigger response in our studies, although we can't say head-to-head -head data because we haven't done that, but if you just compare them, you know, side by side, we see a larger effect size, more rapid and more robust. So, Jeff, the feedback I heard about Zelreso from postpartum depression specialists uh, was mostly positive. You know, many of them expressed hope that this approval would spark more awareness and diagnosis. Why? Why is that important, Adam? There's so much stigma attached to postpartum depression, and there are a lot of factors that we have to overcome. And so the biggest factor, and we know this factually, is even though there may be 400,000 plus women who have the diagnosis every year, maybe only half even get, uh, get the actual diagnosis and treatment. Screening is not adequate. Diagnosis is not adequate. So we're hopeful that the promise of getting people better in two and a half days will spur people to action and really ignite the urgency around this as a medical disease. And you know, I think as a fact, this is the most postpartum depression is the most common complication of pregnancy, and the leading cause of death in after pregnancy for mothers is suicide. So this is a, a medical, a, a urgent medical uh, condition, and I, you know that. And I think once you can show people that you can get something better in two and a half days because of an acute hormonal imbalance, that goes a long way to destigmatizing it. It means it's not your fault. It's something in your brain that occurs around childbirth, and a, a medicine can help correct it. Jeff, this is not an easy drug to give in a lot of ways. There are side effects, dizziness, drowsiness, sedation, and fainting. But uh, one of the biggest issues is the length of the infusion, um, which you just mentioned. It's 60 hours. You know, uh, Sarah Cliff was tweeting about this, the Vox healthcare writer, and she said, it's... Uh, it's wonderful to see this news, but this is a drug that has to be infused and she put in asterisks over 60 hours and that that's not exactly practical for a new mom and infant. What kind of severity of patients are we talking about that will will get uh, this treatment? First, I'll, I'll parse the question into two pieces. The, uh, the, the drug will be indicated you know, for the treatment of postpartum depression. And one of the 
misunderstandings around the Hamilton scale is obviously we use the Hamilton to rate patients, but that doesn't correlate with morbidity. And as we know, people who are moderately depressed can also be suicidal and dysfunctional, just as people who are severely depressed. So let, we should put that aside for a minute because that's an issue that between the, the, the healthcare provider and, and the woman. The other piece is about the notion of inconvenience. There are a couple of ways to approach this. And first is like from a personal level, you know, I, I've spoken to a lot of women and advocates who have this disease. And I can tell you, I have never heard anything but that they people are desperate to get better. And what people have said to me you know, is basically, you know, they would much prefer to go into the hospital for two and a half days and get better than suffer in silence for weeks at, for weeks on end. I mean, and if you think about this just as a physician or a medical, as a medical person, you know, two and a half days is not a long time to get better from a potentially urgent medical condition. You, no one would ask this question about a cancer, chemotherapy, and infusion, or you know, treating a seizure. So, to me, it, that's more emblematic of the challenge we have as a company, which is to overcome this stigma about you know about this disease and and sort of the idea that mental health diseases aren't urgent and should be treated less urgently than any other medical condition. Um, it is true you have to go to the hospital for two and a half days. But, you know, women can be are ambulatory. They can bring their babies in if they need to. Um, people did in our studies as well. And uh, again, the benefit for us, you know, we believe is profound. And after two and a half days, you can go back and take care of your family versus being dysfunctional for six weeks. So beyond the barriers to treatment we discussed above, stigma, hospital say, et cetera, one thing I know a lot of mothers are thinking about is breastfeeding and they're resistant to medications that could potentially harm their baby or cause them to stop being able to breastfeed. Could you speak a little bit about how this therapy works into that equation? And then on top of that, how that would work if a mother did have to be separated from the child since she would be in the hospital? So we, we, we did show, uh, we produced data, and it's in the label that breastfeeding is not going to be prohibited. Obviously, it, it's at the discretion of the mother and the physician. Uh, but we did present data at the, with, to the FDA, and it was public, that shows that very little of the, of the drugs secreted in the breast milk, and, and from there, very, very little is, is absorbed orally. So, the, so breastfeeding can be allowed during the administration of the drug. Remember that the active component is allopregnanolone, which is normally in breast milk in any event. You know, in my experience, and I've talked to lots of patients and advocates, it's about 50-50 with mothers wanting to bring the baby in and mothers saying, I really just want to focus on my health. But, you know, it, the reality is it, with any medical procedure in a nursing mother, you're going to have this challenge, albeit obviously this would be more common because this is obviously a disease of, of around childbirth. We think that, you know, fam it'll be up to the family and the patient to decide how best to care for the, for the baby. But, you know, people will be able to bring their babies in, presumably, and, or not. And that'll be that's a personal decision. So, Jeff, Sage will charge uh, $34,000 for Zelreso. Uh, that's before any discounts or rebates. Uh, there's also obviously going to be additional charges for the required hospital stay. You know, postpartum depression, like you said, is the most common complication of childbirth. Um, but does the cost of Zelreso make it too inaccessible for the women who need it? You know, we, we've spent a lot of time proactively looking at pricing. I mean, we've literally talked to hundreds of payers. And, you know, I can tell you that we had a range and it, it, there was really very positive feedback within the initial range. And at 34, we had very positive feedback from payers about reimbursement. So we're pretty comfortable about that range as being reasonable, remembering this is a one-time only therapy. And if you do the pharmacoeconomics, which we, we are doing, you know, the cost to the family and the patient, and as well as potential impact on the baby, these are all factors that have really given us very positive, led to very positive feedback 
from payers. With that said, you know, we're committed to patient access and, and reducing financial barriers to treatment. However, that, that we can do that, we're permitted. And obviously, we will have programs in place to make sure that as best as we can, every woman who needs this drug can get it. And those will be announced at the time of launch. So that's a wrap for our questions on postpartum depression. Jeff is going to be back with us at the end of the episode for a special lightning round. And uh, I want to also thank Alyssa for joining us. Thank you. All right, next up, it's time for a lightning round. We're going to shake things up this week with a different format. Jeff Jonas is going to join us again for this segment. Here's how it's going to work. We're going to ask Jeff a question in which he must pick between one of two binary options. There will be no hedging or dodging the question, and then we'll let him explain his reasoning. Jeff, you ready to get started here? Is that a yes-no question? (laughs) It is. All right, Jeff, you grew up on Long Island. So which is better? The North Shore or the South Shore? South Shore. See, now, Jeff, I'm a North Shore guy, so we're going to have words about this. Me too. Yeah, Matt and I are both North Shore guys. I know. You were the guys who had fancy cars. We were the guys you were afraid of when we met up with you at Nathan's. (laughs) We might have to have a duel at at the Roosevelt Field Mall. Oh, come on. That's where all the rich kids went. Are you kidding me? (laughs) All right, let's turn to the news. Big tech companies are making big headlines in medicine. What do you think? Are the Apples, Amazons, and Googles of the world overhyped or underestimated when it comes to their potential impact on healthcare? Overhyped. And why is that? Um, Because tech isn't biotech, and sensitivity and specificity aren't there yet. Now, someday they may be, but today I think the Apple Watch is really more of a a curiosity than a a true medical device. So, Jeff, speaking of Silicon Valley, one person who's still making headlines these days is Elizabeth Holmes of Theranos. Are you still fascinated by her or are you tired of this oversaturated story? Exhausted. And why is that? So I just watched The Inventor the other day. Um, so I have to tell you, you know, and it's, it is transfixing in many ways. But I, I think that at the end of the day, this was just a long con. That's my view. I think it's a long con. I don't think she was a visionary. And at some point, it, it, it's just like this is what long cons look like. And so I I, I don't find her motivations fascinating. I think they are simple. All right. So, Jeff, we know you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Question for you, Jeff Jonas. Which do you prefer rooting for the New England Patriots or undergoing a root canal? Undergoing two root canals. Thank you. (laughs) And I don't think we need any explanation for that. You don't. I, I go Chiefs, baby. So, Jeff, you don't have an official Twitter account under your name. But do you have a burner Twitter account? Yes or no? (laughs) I use my daughter's account so I can read Twitter. (laughs) Oh, how clever of you. I I don't post, however, because I, you know what I'm like. Thank you for indulging us here. And thanks for coming on the show. Listen, that was a lot of fun. Thank you, folks. I really appreciate it. (laughs) Sorry, I'm still laughing. does it for another episode of The Read Out Loud. Thanks to Hyacinth Empanado, who produced this week's episode. Matt Orr and Alyssa Ambrose are our senior producers, and Rick Burke is our executive producer. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you liked about this week's episode or guests you'd like to see on a future episode. You can do all of that by sending us an email at readoutloud at statnews.com. We really do value the feedback, so thank you. 
And if you like what we do, leave a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use to get your podcast. See you next week.